If you would please take your copy of the scriptures tonight and go with me over to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. And as I mentioned in the announcements, tonight is a very much a topical study around this title, The Sufficiency of Christ, The Sufficiency of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to say that he is sufficient? And is there any way that we can practically work this down to what we might call the breathe in, breathe out level, the dailies of where you and I can on a daily basis seek after him? I have always appreciated the messages over the years where people can be very, very practical. They can take profound theological truth and break it down in such a way that each and every one of us could take part in it. And I believe that tonight the Lord is going to allow us to do just that. Notice, if you will, there in Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 so that we see the entire context. And at the end of the, right after the message, I think it is, we're going to be singing a new hymn based on this on 1 Corinthians chapter, pardon me, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Look at the way that this is expressed in terms of our affection, our love, what the Lord has done for us, how we are to actively participate in what he has accomplished for us, all written right here in the scriptures. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, that is, put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked past tense, sometime when you lived, again past tense, in them. So there's a distinct change here. But look at verse 8, first two words, but now. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but, note these words carefully, Christ is all and in all. Shall we pray together? Lord, be glorified, I pray, then, to help us see tonight that Christ is all and in all. Give us a vision, we pray, of the all-sufficient Christ through the scriptures. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In those two remarkable verses, in verses 10 and 11, you see that the Lord is exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, that the scripture is pointing us to him, and it says, you have put on the new man, so it's speaking of that in the past tense, which is renewed, that's in the present tense, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. There is um, a passive sense in which 
you are now like Jesus Christ. In what sense would that be passive? Well, when you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you were transformed, you were given new life in Christ, and you put on the new man. That is, you put on Jesus Christ. Now think about what this means just for a moment, because the Scripture doesn't really speak of an old nature and a new nature. What it actually speaks of is, it speaks of an old self and a new self. The old self is the man of sin, the principle of sin. You can see it in Romans chapter 6. The new man is Jesus Christ. And what he tells us here is that when we became believers, we put on the new man. But you know this idea of being renewed is something that needs to occur on a regular basis, daily. You know the verse well, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Tonight what we'd like to do is take these ideas of the all-sufficient Christ and begin to apply them and ask, what, in what ways could we be more like the Lord Jesus Christ? These passages, in a very real sense, almost act like a compass for us. They point us to true north. They show us, here's where we could take our next steps. Don't you always appreciate that when the scripture does that, or somebody, a guide or a book does this for you, where they actually tell you, hey, place your feet here, or here's the way you go about this. Or if you're learning a musical instrument, hey, hold your fingers this way, or hold your mouth this way, or hold the instrument this way. I think that's exactly what the scripture is doing for us in helping us to see exactly what we could be like. So go back again and look at verses 10 and 11 because there is really very profound truth here. He says, and have put on the new man, that's Jesus Christ, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You see how that that phrase is specifically pointing to the creator. And here is the prospect that it is raising, that when you came to Christ, your curse was reversed so that you are much more like the original human beings. You are much more like Adam and Eve. Now, we understand in Adam all died and Christ shall all be made alive. But remember that the scripture speaks of Christ as the second Adam. And so what this passage is teaching us is that we can be like the one who created us. We can go we can go back to the original reason we were designed and the original reason that he created us in the first place. So when Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the garden with the voice of the Lord, you and I have the opportunity to go to the scriptures and listen to the voice of the Lord walking with us. And he says in this passage, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. In other words, all of those categories, all of those divisions that many people talk about today, whether it be ethnic divisions, whether it's Greek or Jew is probably the most prominent one, or even national divisions where People speak in terms of my nation, another nation, and even he speaks here of barbarians and Scythians. It's basically the same group of people there in the uh, mountains of uh, Asia. That what he's saying is these these classifications, these categories. Even when he says bond or free, I mean he's talking about slaves and citizens. 
He's saying here that the difference now is those categories are wiped away for us, and there's two categories that are left, a Christian and a non-Christian, those who are in Christ, those who are not in Christ, so that he is able to sum it up by saying, look, here's the point, Christ is all. Not only is he all, Christ is all and in all. This is the all-sufficient Christ of which we are speaking this evening. So what I'd like to do in this message is I'd like to elaborate on that point, on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, and then try to practically apply it by the time we get to the end of the message. There is a passive aspect. There is an active aspect. Let's look for both of those. Very interesting quote by D.A. Carson that's listed there in your manuscript, and here is what he wrote. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight toward tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godliness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. Well, there then is the great danger. And what that quote highlights for us is the need to actively pursue after Christ. Tonight we celebrate the fact that he is the all-sufficient Christ, as we'll see here in these next few verses. But then to ask the question, on this evening as I am celebrating the all-sufficient Christ, how do I practically pursue him? How can I be very specific in the way I go about my daily living so that I can be more like him? Turn over, if you would, to Romans chapter 9. There is a fascinating verse here that I don't know why this had really escaped my attention in the past, but I really, that was just riveted by this when I read it here recently, and I thought, well, wow, why why have I never seen this verse in exactly this way? So here's the context. Paul is writing about what was going on in Israel, Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. And the question would be, if Israel is the people of God, if, if they are the people of God, then why have they by and large turned away from him? Certainly there are examples of dynamic Jewish believers But by and large, they are still rejecting their Messiah. And how do you approach that? How would you go about it? The Apostle Paul actually felt the need to call God as his witness on this occasion. He said, I I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. Well, Paul, why why would we think that you are lying? Well, look at verse 3. He said, I could wish that myself were accursed for my brethren. Do you get what he's saying there? He's saying, I could wish that I would be lost and eternally damned if it could lead to the salvation of my brethren. By the way, uh, Moses had the same sentiment. Moses said, Lord, blot me out of your book, save these people. 
in both cases, what Moses was doing, and here what Paul is doing is, they're actually pointing us toward Jesus Christ. They, they as human examples, sinners saved by grace, they are actually pointing us toward something, and they're pointing us toward the compassionate intercession of Jesus Christ, as he was willing to be accursed for his brethren. He took our curse upon himself. So he says here in verse 3 of Romans 9, I could wish that myself were accursed for, for, from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, I catch the words here, according to the flesh. And he's specifically speaking about Israelites. Now watch what he says about their privileges. To whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Wow, you talk about a remarkable set of privileges. But read on. Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning or according to the flesh Christ came? He is specifically pointing to Christ's human ancestry, if you will. You know that he was born of a virgin, born of the Virgin Mary. He is specifically there pointing and saying, look, these promises of God that were given, they are culminating in, they are manifested in Jesus Christ, who, according to the flesh, was born as a Jewish person. But then read on. Notice what he says. When he speaks of Christ came who is over all God blessed forever. There's a, the, a strange comma in that in most of the translations. It probably shouldn't even be there. What it's saying is that Christ is God. He is God over all. He is the blessed God of all eternity. This is Jesus Christ. So let's raise this question tonight. How is it possible that we could be like the Lord. How is, that, how is it that people, sinners as we are, born in rebellion against God, how is it even possible that we could be like Jesus Christ? And the answer is that the God over all, Christ, the God over all became a human being, specifically that he might bring us to God, in the words of Peter, that he would cause us to be like him. And so what you see in this passage is that Jesus Christ is not only our pattern. When we talk about becoming more like Jesus Christ, he is certainly our pattern. But have you never been frustrated by this, that you knew exactly what you ought to do? I mean, you you had a very good sense of the scriptures, or you'd been taught enough to know, hey, I, I know what I'm supposed to do here. I, I know how I'm supposed to be like Jesus Christ. But you felt as if you lacked the power to actually become like Jesus Christ or be like Jesus Christ. Well, that is answered in that the Spirit of Christ, that's the way he's identified in Colossians uh, 3, the Spirit of Christ, I'm sorry, in First Peter uh, chapter 1, the Spirit of Christ is the one who is at work in us. He is the all-sufficient one. This is why, in, for instance, in John chapter 14 and uh, verse 6, that should say John chapter 11 verse 6, I'm sorry, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is John 14, 6, pardon me. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You see, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. 
He is God over all, and yet he came through the Jewish ancestry and became a human being for us. This is why when Jesus was responding to his critics in John chapter 5 and verse 39, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now if you would turn over to Col- back to Colossians, and this time to Colossians chapter 2, because here is what we have found. So far we have seen that Christ is all and in all. In Romans chapter 9, we learn that the human Christ is the heavenly God. Notice these words in Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him, that is in Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's verses like that that teach you the deity of Jesus Christ. He is indeed God. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You as a believer, you as a Christian, are complete in him. Now, does that raise a question for you? Well, uh, if I am complete in him, do I need to do anything else if, if, I, if I'm totally complete in him? And of course, you compare scripture with scripture. In fact, Paul goes on to write in Colossians chapter 3, oh yes, you have to render some things to be dead. You have to say, to, you have to say no to some things. You have to renew your mind. But it's not because if you don't, sorry to use a, sorry to do this in English, but if you don't do that, you are not complete. I know, I know, I just used a double negative in a sentence, but that's the idea, is that you are complete in him. Nothing will change that. You are complete. You are completely saved in him. But now what he's talking about is growing more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In the all-sufficient Christ, we are complete. In, In God's sight, we are complete. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is not something that we do or ever could do. It's something that has been done for us. We are complete in him. But as we noted in Colossians chapter 3, this is not then entirely passive. It isn't like, okay, that from now on I just get to glide through life. If you were taking your car, it's not like you can just put it in neutral and go everywhere that you need to go. No, what he's speaking of here is the fact that there is an active aspect to this. Now here's where I try to get intensely practical. There is, out at the Welcome Center, there is a book called The Joy of Journaling. We've been walking through this a little bit on Wednesday evenings. And if you miss those, they are all on the website. You can go, and I think they're listed on both YouTube and Sermon Audio. If I'm thinking correctly, Brad's giving me the nod. that Both on Sermon Audio and on YouTube, you can go through and you can see how um, just we, we went through every single one of these, taking sometimes 20, 25 30 minutes to go through a particular area. So if this seems a little overwhelming at first tonight, don't let it be so. Just know that there's more available. And if you pick up one of these out at the Welcome Center, you can see it. Let's try to get intensely practical. Okay, if we want to follow after Jesus Christ, knowing that we are complete in him, knowing that he is God over all, knowing that indeed he is the one who is the new man, 
And now we can renew our minds and we can think after him. We can be more like him. There's how we begin to see, well, this is how I could be like Jesus Christ. This is how I could, I could renew my mind. I, instead of being conformed, pressed in by this world, I could be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Let's talk about how to practically go about that. I asked the question again that I've asked on occasions before, which one is easier to follow, a set of principles or a person? My answer to that, and I think the scripture's answer to that, is it's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. You and I make a mistake sometimes when we go to our scriptures and we think of them as a series of uh, theoretical or even abstract principles. Let's be very plain that the word of God is given to us by the God of the word. It is his revelation, not only the revelation of Jesus Christ that we were in this morning, but this is who he is. In fact, this is why Jesus said, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. And so part of the question here is, are we taking this this knowledge about God and turning it into fellowship with God? It's not merely enough to know about the Lord. Do we really know him? And are we seeking after him and and seeking who he is? I think that you find in the scriptures in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the hymn we sing sometimes when we sing glory to glory, that we see in the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Well, how do we see that glory? You read six verses later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it tells us we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is by beholding Jesus Christ. Across the years, I have watched a number of academics and others who have almost been, uh, it's just been too theoretical in the way that they thought about the characteristics of God, or for instance, the character of God, as if you could see God in all his glory without seeing him through Jesus Christ. Let's face the fact this evening that if Christ had not come, we would not be able to understand the Lord in all his glory. It's because of him from this morning's message He is the word of God. He is that crystal clear communication of God to all of us. So how do we get really practical with this? Well, take a look at the chart that's there in your notes where we took 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and we kind of broke it apart and said, okay, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, it is God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine or teaching. And as you can see there in your notes, I put down, that's what is true and right. It gives us doctrine. It tells us what the truth is. It shows us what is right. But with equal clarity, it goes on to show us what is wrong. Undoubtedly, you are familiar with some TV evangelists and others who've said, I will never say anything negative from the pulpit. 
Well, uh, they might as well take their scissors and actually cut out the references to sin and rebellion because it's all over the scriptures. Not only the glory of God, but the rebellion of mankind. So the scripture not only shows us what is right and true, it shows us also what is wrong. It shows us here is where we're making our mistake. But he doesn't leave us there because number three, he gives us correction. He shows us how to take what is wrong, especially in the light of what is right. He shows us what is wrong, and then, glory to God, he shows us how to turn it around. He shows us how to turn, how to repent, how to come back to the Lord. He shows us how to, take it, how to make it right, that which was wrong. And then he goes on to give us instruction about instruction in righteousness, how to actually keep it right, how to, how to press on. Now, you've heard me go through those four, I would imagine, on many occasions. I'm hoping most of you can quote them. Here's what I tried to do next. I tried to say, okay, if, since that is true, 2 Timothy chapter 3, is there any way that I could, I could break this down on a, almost like a granular level for everyone so that we could use this for personal growth and personal discipleship. Would there be a way to take what is expressed there and by careful thought, by careful meditation, that we would break it down in such a way that it would be, shall we say, portable or it can be imparted? In other words, what I mean by that is in a way that you could share it with your children and your coworkers. Is there a way to concentrate it, concentrate on it in such a way that you could break it down to a level where, number one, you could take it and internalize it, it says in Hebrews chapter 5. In fact, it's in the beginning of uh, the booklet that we put together here. When it speaks of in Hebrews chapter 5, it speaks of the fact that we can exercise our senses in the word of righteousness. How would you go about that? You know, how would you, you put it together? Well, here's the illustrations that I gave to you. First of all, you could put together a journal and call it the Character of God Journal. It's the very first one in the, the booklet here, and it is in, uh, it's a blue. The way you go through the booklet, you have them both in the front and in the back. I give you a few sample verses, but you have duplicates of those, and you can see how they're put together. And if you'd like to have these and say, hey, I would just like to have these on a word processing document so I can do it myself, send us a note at the office, and we could, we'll freely uh, send those to you. The character of God journal here, as you see in your manuscript, really helps us to focus on the face of Jesus Christ, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, to see who he is and to behold him in his glory. And the fascinating thing is, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we become like him. Remember what we talked about there in Colossians chapter 3, how we are renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In other words, we're going back to, we're reverting back to the original creation rather than the curse. Now look, you and I, you and I see illustrations of the curse all the time. We feel it in our own bodies. When I get out into my garden, undoubtedly, I'm going to see the thorns and the thistles and everything else. So we, we know about the existence of the curse. But also bear in mind that, for instance, in James chapter 1 and verse 17, when he speaks of the fact, the father of lights, 17 and 18, the father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, it says, of his own will begat he us. We were begotten. We were born again. Begat he us with the word of truth 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, cre- his creatures, his creation. You take James 1.18, you also apply it over in Romans chapter 8, and what it's telling us is this, that what is going on in our hearts and minds as believers who are indwelled by the Spirit of God is that we are the first fruits of the new, the new, cre- new creation that is coming, the new heavens, the new earth. We are the, we are the uh, illustration and manifestation what is going on between our two ears, what is going on in our hearts as we seek after the Lord. That's the indication of what it's going to be like, I think, not only in the millennium, but also in eternity, ultimately. So, By using the scriptures to seek after God, renewing your mind by seeking God in the word of God, you can become more like him. Now you might ask the question, well, why do you then put it down to a journal? And the idea is so that you could renew it. I have done this now for 40 years. And and I still have some of my 40-year-old forms uh, from years ago where I try to get very, very practical and write things down. And many of you have heard me quote scriptures on so many occasions. It's really because of this approach. That is, I would try to get one thought every day and write it down and then dwell on it and go back and renew it and review it, that it would become very precious to me. It would become like a friend that I can tell you about. I believe you could do that with the Character of God journal. There's also these categories of truth that you can see expressed there. And when you think about the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, then you realize, well, you know, he is the one who is the ultimate manifestation of truth. Paul expressed this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, when he said, but of him, that is, by God, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Okay, now think about what he's saying here. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is the clearest, crystal clear communication of who God is to us. And he says, you are in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom. And then he breaks apart what wisdom is. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Well, there's your point. The point is to seek after Christ, the all-sufficient Christ that we sang about even this evening. Proverbs 14 speaks of this, and it says, the prudent man looks well to his going. That verse reminds me that every new news article I read, every new piece of information I receive, I really have to ask the question about that. Where's, where would that take me? If I, if I really put confidence in that truth, or this new piece of information I'm getting there, would that take me toward being more like Jesus Christ? Or would it take me in a very different direction? Because if it won't take me toward being like Jesus Christ, then do I really want to embrace this? Why don't I just forget about it? Just throw it away, trash that it is. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like the Lord. The Armory Journal is especially fascinating because of what you find over in Romans chapter 13, as you can see there in your manuscript, because this passage speaks of putting on the armor of light, and then goes back and it expresses this way, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's very similar to the way it's expressed in Ephesians chapter 6, that he is our armor. He is our belt of truth. We have 
him as the breastplate of our righteousness. We have the sword of his spirit. We have the shield of faith in him. We have a helmet of salvation. You can see how those are applied. What if we were to take that and get very, very practical and and think in terms of how could we target specific sins? He does it here in this passage. He says, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Or how could we use it as an armory to, to actually put on the graces of Jesus Christ? Again, we are complete in him. How would we then begin to, to manifest this? When you look at the, uh, the skeletons, uh, our skeletons, animal skeletons, and then you kind of look at the skeleton of an insect, you can see the difference there because your insects, like your ants, they have what is called an exoskeleton. In other words, their real structure is based on the structure that is on the outside rather than vertebras like we have, backbones like we have. There's a sense into which you know what has been done in us, we are to, in the words of Philippians chapter 2, to work out our own salvation, not work for, but work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That what we really are in Christ, the completeness that we are in Christ, is to be manifested. And if you kind of think of that almost like the armor of carefully, thoughtfully putting in place and using those things which the Lord has done in each one of us. Certainly the promises of God journal would be so important. And I think the pivotal passage there is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, because it says, in him, in Christ, are all the promises of God, yes and amen. In other words, all the promises of God are ultimately fulfilled in him as the foremost prophet or the, the principal, P-A-L, the principal foremost promise that we have. And I think this is why it says over in Romans chapter 8, when the Apostle Paul wrote, He that spared not his own son, Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You get it? When you have Jesus Christ, you have all of those things. Well, why not then go through and ask, well, how many promises of God's word do I really know and know well? How many could I quote if I were called upon to do so? How do I know that he is with me? And well, Hebrews thirteen five, he will never leave me nor forsake me. Those kind of promises that you would be able to grasp them and use them. Now, as I say, you can go through on our YouTube channel and you can go through on the Sermon Audio channel And we try to go through very slowly, very specifically, some verses and references that we could use. And here's some that are still ahead. Uh, So far on Wednesday nights, we've worked through some of these others. Here's one that's ahead, and it is the uh, what I like to call the PRP journal, put off, renew, put on. In the words of Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24, you have three steps. Three steps to what? Three steps to permanent change. He is telling you something has to be put off. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, as we read about in Colossians chapter 3 tonight. What that means is that you and I could pre-plan our obedience. How would you like to 
pre-plan your life. Now, I know some of you well enough to know you're really good planners, and you, you carefully think through things, hey, here's how our vacation works, and this is what we're going to do here, and, and this is how I'm going to plan out my life over the next little bit. I think there's a 5K run coming up here before too long, and we're kind of, you know, people are planning out, here's how I'm going to do this. The Scripture is actually showing us that we could pre-plan our obedience, we could pre-plan our living that the scripture is almost like a, it's like a gymnasium. It's like a treadmill or it's, it's like a, it's like an exercise machine where you could exercise your senses in the word of righteousness and specifically that you could actively take advantage of this all sufficiency of Christ. You could actively take advantage of that by saying, well, in the power of God, that's how I'm going to change. I'm going to stop doing those things that dishonor the Lord. I'm going to change my thinking, and I'm going to start putting on Jesus Christ. It does raise the question for all of us, though, if what we're seeking after is Christ-likeness, then what's the purpose of all these human examples that we have in the Scripture? Many of which, you know, the the Bible shows them to us, warts and all. Uh, anytime somebody says, well, you know, look at Abraham. You're talking about Abraham, the man who twice put his wife in a potentially adulterous situation, or David, David the murderer, David the adulterer. I mean, it presents them warts and all. Why do we even have those examples? Well, you can see Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. It would be very easy for us as people who are redeemed from our sins, knowing that our weaknesses, knowing our sins, to say, well, I can't be like Jesus Christ because he's perfect. I mean, come on. He, he's the perfect one. I could never be like him. I think it's exactly why we have passages such as 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says, be a follower of me as I am a follower of Jesus Christ. We are all in this together. We can learn about the graces of Christ. And so it's really kind of fascinating to study through the character studies and not only look for negative examples to say, whoa, we want to avoid that problem. I want to avoid that issue. But then also to look for the grace of God in the life of someone like Joseph in Genesis or Daniel in the book of Daniel to ask the question, hey, could I figure out what makes that person tick? If the scripture really does show me it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, could the Lord show me the thoughts and intents of that human example's thoughts so that I could follow after? And I think that's exactly the point. I think that as we do that, we can learn how to be more like Jesus Christ always studying these biblical characters, asking what is the real goal here. And then finally, the last journal I have listed, I think there are more, by the way, I think I could make an argument for a commands of God journal. That'll be another message sometime. But think just for a moment about the principles that you have in the Word of God. The foremost example of those principles, especially in pithy form, would be the book of Proverbs. So what is a principle, P-L-E in this case, P-R-N-C-I-P-L-E? What do we really mean by that? Well, a principle is a rule or law by which your life is governed. That's how you would put it passively. The principle of sowing and reaping, you know, planting and harvesting, yep, that's a principle in the Word of God. And whether we like it or not, our lives are governed by that principle. It's just a fact. 
So it's a rule or law by which your life is governed passively. But wait, there's an active way that you could use that. You could actually take those principles and in an active sense, you could begin to seek after the Lord and and find those principles that you could then begin to use. I really think that the, the greatest manifestation of that, of seeking after principles that you could use, is probably Psalm 119, the longest of the Psalms, if I remember correctly, 175 verses, where you can see David just earnestly seeking after the Lord. But the point is, I think, as we return back to Colossians chapter 2, careful in what it says there in Colossians 2, 18, 8 through 10, I should say, Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10, beware, pay attention, be on your guard, lest any man spoil you. The idea there is carry you away through a vain, deceptive philosophy after the tradition of men. Oh, we've always done it that way. After the tradition of men, after the, our translation says the rudiments, and that's the word for principles, the principles of the world. Are you and I thinking about the fact tonight that there are principles of the world? There are rules or laws by which this world is governed and is governing and conforming people. The Apostle Paul is saying, don't be, don't be carried away by those things. Not after the principles of the world. Why? Because they're not after Christ. And then he goes on to say this and reiterate, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So we could use these principles and even use these proverbs to actually seek after Christ. I was trying to figure out how to express this, and so you can see there in the end of your manuscript the way I tried to express this, that Christ is all in all. Going back to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, if you with Christ have risen, then seek those things above, where Christ, enthroned in heaven, commands your highest love. This passage is saying, Christ is my life, my passion. Now at his feet I fall, on him my hopes I fasten, for Christ is all in all. So set your mind on Jesus. In him, his death you died. From sin and death he saved us. We shall be glorified. So put away sin's deadness. To death put worldly sin and practice holy kindness till Jesus comes again. Now Christ is all and in all, in nations far and near. Preach Christ to all the people. Seek him with godly fear. That day when Christ is coming, that dawning bright and clear, in glory new and stunning, with him we shall appear. Tonight as we come together around our Lord's table, we are doing so to magnify the all-sufficient Christ. Perhaps even tonight, as this message has been being delivered, you realize, you know, I, I, have not, I have not been pursuing after Christ as I ought to. Dear friend, the scriptures tell us, let a man examine himself and so let him partake of this Lord's table. This is supposed to be a, a corporate fellowship, a gathering here tonight where we just rejoice. And tonight what we are doing is we are rejoicing in the all-sufficient Christ. Can we bow our heads together, please? I'm going to ask the musicians at this time if they will come 
so that in just a moment we can have a quiet time of careful thoughtfulness and examination as we really try to seek after and magnify the all-sufficient Christ tonight to honor him. What we'll do is after I pray that we will, we'll take the time just to take a few quiet moments as the musician plays to think about and meditate on Jesus Christ. I would ask the gentlemen who are serving our Lord's table tonight, if you could please come forward at this time and be seated here in the front. So I'll pray, and then we'll take just a few quiet moments to meditate upon our Lord as we prepare to take of the Lord's table. Father, thank you for the all-sufficient Christ. Thank you for the way that you help us to understand your great grace and how we could practically apply your great grace. So tonight, Lord, I pray for each and every one, each believer here who is seeking after you, that this would be a time of worship, that we would remember that Christ who was sacrificed for us, who gave his body and gave his blood for us so that we could be complete in him, so that tonight we could renew our minds to be transformed, so that the grace of God that we sense in our lives in these next few days would be because we specifically set out to be more like our precious Lord. So Lord, let it begin this evening. Let this evening be a time when we concentrate and meditate upon the goal of being like Jesus Christ and then take the practical steps to be more like him. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a few quiet moments for meditation, shall we?